water bottle because it's one of those things where you're like I don't need that water bottle and then that's the moment where you're going to start coughing uncontrollably so I didn't want to inflict that on all of you thanks so much for being here I know there's a little something going on later today that some of you are uh, you're getting ready to enter through the into the valley of the shadow of chili cheese dip <laughs> or whatever uh, your uh, weapon of choice is and so I will be praying for your protection in the midst of whatever you're going to inflict on your body later on today as we watch the Super Bowl. Uh, but this morning we are continuing in our study through the book of Romans. It's a study entitled Romans, very, very catchy, like you see how we did that there. But we are in chapter 4 today. You know, I think in many of our lives there are these things that come into our lives at some point that start out small and then they end up be really beginning to define us they define us as people and they may even define the decisions the courses anything that goes uh, beyond that and so it's something that starts kind of in one spot and it moves to something else some of you had an interest that turned into a career or you had a hobby that really turned into a, a substantial part of your life or you had this chance encounter with someone that turned into a lifelong friendship or a relationship or even more than that. And there's these things that we move beyond what we thought it was into something more that we never would have actually dreamed that it could be. When I was a kid, I played music uh, from my very early years, from six years old on, and it was always just something I did. And as a kid, I, uh, I did that kind of against my will my mother said you will take piano lessons and you will practice and i fought her on it because that's what you do when you're a kid and there was this point when i got into high school i had started playing music in church and, and i just want to remind some of you are new here at long hill chapel some of you don't know this uh, this is who i was in high school john i think i gave you a picture that we can put up there so so just a reminder of who maybe we don't do we ha not have that picture well you're missing out if we don't have it because um it is me with a mullet down to my back. Um, I really liked Bon Jovi a lot. Like, I was very into Bon Jovi. I didn't live in New Jersey, but I was very into Slippery When Wet and, you know, all, the, all, all those other uh, albums that we all can bang our heads to. And I was the kind of person that when you looked at me, you would have been like, no. And if you were, like, in a church and a pastor in a church, you would have been like, oh boy, that's not going to work out. That's not going to work. But I had a, a, a friend who was my pastor who became my mentor and really has had a substantial impact in my life, uh, who saw this kid who really liked uh, heavy metal music and growing his hair apparently and not cutting it, uh, and saw something more than I saw in myself. And so he began to invest in me. And he said, you know, have you ever considered ministry? And I had not considered really anything of the kind. And so I went from being that, that, that kind of sketchy teenage kid who played a little bit in church to it became something that defined who I was and led all of the steps, uh, for better or for worse, uh, to where I am now. And it's because somebody saw something in me that I didn't see in me, and frankly, probably a lot of other people. There we go. There it is. Thank you, John. 
Yes, see, that's why you came to church today right there, is to be reminded of that. And some of you are like, honey, it's time to go. Get in the car. But this is who I was. I was 16. I was a, you, that was my driver's license photo. You can see how happy I was to be doing that. But, but someone saw something in me. And, and I just want to encourage all of you, this isn't really what the message is about, but there's, there may be someone in your life uh, that you don't see what God sees. You don't see what God sees in them. Or maybe you even look at yourself and you don't see it, but there's this thing that God sees that's beyond anything that you could see. And for a couple of us in this room, there's a place in our lives where we can take a chance on somebody and see them with different eyes, to see them with the eyes of God. And you just never know you just never know the impact that one of those kind of conversations might have on the life of somebody. But really today what we're talking about is we're talking about this curious thing that we've been talking about for the past few weeks called faith. And when you hear the word faith, you usually equate it with the word belief. And it's kind of what most of you are here for today. Some of you are here for the free coffee. That is a valid reason to be here as well. It's pretty good. But we're here because of this thing called faith. And today what I want to do, and what I believe the writer of the book of Romans does, is he moves us beyond our understanding, beyond the eyes that we see this thing with. You know, one pastor wrote this, he said, faith is moving beyond a belief about Christ to a solid conviction in Christ. It's moving beyond the ideas we have about God, and all of us have ideas about God, even if you're not a Jesus follower or a Christian, you have some ideas about God. You, you think about God in a certain way. It's moving beyond that to a way of living that actually has some consequences. It's taking something in your life and building your life on it, just like I ended up doing with this thing called music that was in my life. You know, it's like if you're building something, it's the difference between seeing like a pile of bricks. We've all seen a pile of bricks and we know what color they are and we can pick them up and we can see how much they weigh and we can measure them and we can figure out the dimensions of the bricks and we can know the texture of the bricks. We can know a lot about the bricks. It's the difference between that and building a bridge that we then walk across out of those bricks or building a house and then living in the house. There's actually consequences at that point. And a lot of times what happens with us with this thing called belief is there's really not a lot of consequences to it. It's just kind of this thing that if it wasn't in our lives, our lives wouldn't honestly change all that much. And so the Apostle Paul has been writing to this mixed group of early Christians in the city of Rome. That's why the book is called Romans. It's to the church in Rome. And we've talked about how it's just a complicated situation. There's some kind of, there's some legacy OG Christians who were like the Jews, and they had come to faith in Jesus, and they were in Rome, and now there are all these new folks who were not Jewish, who didn't do the Jewish things, who are starting to come in. And that dynamic really defines so much of the New Testament. And so Paul is speaking to them. He's saying, this is what this thing is actually about. It's not about a series of rituals or a series of old beliefs. It's actually about faith. And Paul does something which is kind of frustrating to some of us who like to just get to the point. He hangs out on the same idea that we really started last week and we continue with this week. 
I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation with someone where they talk about a thing and they've kind of gotten to their point, but then they, they keep on going. Some of you, you're like, Michael, you do that. Like, you know, but they get to their, they're like, okay, we got it. We can go, we can move on now. And they're still talking about it. And that's kind of what Paul does. He kind of is still talking about it. And some of us are like, we, we gotcha, like move on. But the reason I think he does this is because this is such a critical foundational idea that's easy for us to miss. That it was always about faith. It was never not about faith. Even back in the old days of the Old Testament, even back beforehand, it was always about that. And as he has previously, Paul is spending most of his time talking to the religious people. He's talking to the people who think they have an understanding. There's something about them, and there's really something about us that makes us prone to moving on, but not into the right direction where we need to move beyond. So let's read together. This is Romans chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. It'll be on the screen. There are Bibles in your pew. You may have a the thing on your phone. We would encourage you to follow along. It begins like this. And again, it's kind of some shop talk about the Old Testament and some characters that his audience would have been very aware of. What then shall we say? Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter, and he's talking about the matter of faith, if, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He's referencing the Old Testament there. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but an obligation. So many of you work in here, and how many of you, when, like, payday comes along, you go to your boss, and you're like, thank you so much, you're so generous, and I'm so grateful. No, you're like, give me my check. I worked for this. I deserve it. We don't go when we put in the effort. We don't have a sense of gratitude. There's this sense of obligation. There's a sense of obligation on our behalf for something that we've done. Paul goes on, verse 5, he says, Now, however, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly. And who are the ungodly? Like, it's easy for us to say, you know, those people over there, those people who do that thing, that group of people, that sector of our society, those people in that place in the world, they're the, they're the bad people and we're the good people. We do this naturally all the time. We just kind of figure out who's in and who's out. But what he's doing here is he's saying there is no other group there is no good people and bad people group. We all, by default, start there. Their faith is credited as righteousness. And so what the Apostle Paul is going to do here is he's going to use two different Old Testament characters. Remember, he's speaking to a largely Jewish audience, so they would have immediately known who he's talking about. He quotes from the Old Testament, which was like their, their scripture, a whole lot. And he starts out using uh, the first character, Abraham, that we've seen. And Abraham, for those of you who don't know, uh, there was a song, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. And some of you are like, what just happened? And some of you are just having Sunday school flashbacks right now. But Abraham is kind of one of the characters that if you hang out in synagogue or in church for long enough, you encounter this name, and you're at least a little bit aware of who he is. He was one of the first God followers in the Old Testament. He was this dude who was living in this place called Ur. 
in the Old Testament. It was, a, it was a pagan place. He was a wealthy person with flocks and all sorts of things. Nobody around had any idea who God, like the Christian God or the Jewish, Judeo-Christian God, Yahweh, was. They just had no idea. But then God shows up. He speaks to him, and he says this thing. And this is from the book of Genesis chapter 12. He says, go to a land that I'll show you. And so this unknown God speaks to this guy who really has a pretty good life, and he says, pack up, it's time to move, and by the way, I'm not telling you where you're going. Now, if one, like husbands or wives, you try to do that with your spouse this afternoon. Like, spouse, husband, wife, dearest, I believe that the Lord is calling us to move. And they'll be like, okay, where are we going to go? I don't know yet. See how that conversation goes. So what Abraham, and Abraham, by the way, he gets up and he actually does this crazy thing. So we would look at that and we would say, what an example of faith. What an example of somebody who didn't see the outcome, didn't see how it was going to work out, but they got up and they did that anywhere. There's, there's some of you who've done some version of this in your lives where you've stepped into something or you've taken a step or you've taken a chance and you don't know. There's, part, there's days where you're like, I don't know if this was the right thing, but you took the chance anyway. So that's who Abraham was. And for the uh, early believers and for the Jewish people, he was kind of like their George Washington. He was just this massive historical, cultural figure that everybody saw almost in legendary terms. And it had gotten to the point where their belief about him had almost just floated away. There were some of the rabbis, you can find this in some of the rabbinical writings. Uh, one of them wrote this, Abraham was perfect in all his deeds before the Lord. And so there's this idea that was floating around that this was the guy who got it all right. This was the guy who nailed it. This is the guy for whom there was nothing that he missed. And so when you look at this, you see Abraham at least was a pretty good guy, maybe more than that, depending on how you saw him. And he took all these steps in God's direction. But then Paul says something else. He says, look at this, Abraham was credited by faith apart from his deeds. He was credited by faith apart from his deeds. It was credited to him as righteousness. It says Abraham believed God, and that was credited to him. Not Abraham checked all the right boxes, and that was credited to him. This isn't like your paycheck getting deposited on the 15th and the 30th of the month. This is actually a banking term in the original language. This is more like when you get that surprise deposit that you weren't expecting. I don't know if you've ever gotten one of those. We've gotten a couple of those. There's like some reimbursement or something we just didn't even remember or we didn't know about. And it shows up and you're like, wow, I never expected to get this. That's kind of the idea. It wasn't because of all of the good that he did. It was because of something else. And what we're tempted to do, those of us who are in faith, who follow Jesus, is we're tempted to look at what God has done on our behalf, that he's reached down, that through Jesus Christ, he's offered us salvation from our sin. He has given us hope that is now and is forever if we will believe in Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. And what we kind of do, and most of us wouldn't say this, but we kind of end up like shoring up our salvation with some of our deeds, with some of the things 
We do. And it, it sounds like this. There's statements that we make that sound something like this. I try my best to be a good Christian. All of us in this room try our best. We try. I try my best. Or maybe I believe in God and try to do his will. There's some key words in here. I and try. Or even this. This sounds great. I believe in God with all my heart. And when we hear these statements, most of us are like, yes, those are true in some way for us. They sound good. And if I was to ask around any number of church-going Christian people, you know, what is it that you try to do before God? There would be some answer like that. You know, I try to do the best I can. I try to be faithful. I try. I do my best. There was a pastor in New York City named Tim Keller who passed away recently. Um, and he gave this analysis of these kind of these, these statements that we make. He said, you know, that first one is a salvation by works answer. I try my best to be a good Christian. So there's this thing that I do that makes me a good Christian. The second is a salvation by faith plus works. I believe in God, but then I try to do some stuff. I try to do his will. And the third, and this is really tricky and complicated, and you're like, man, I just want to get to my chili cheese dip. What are you doing here, Michael? I try, I believe in God with all my heart. It's salvation by faith as work. So there's this idea that if we believe enough, if our faith is strong enough, if even when the world around us is just in chaos or our lives in chaos, we kind of stick our fingers in our ears and we go, na, 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 and we just hold on the best we possibly can, that there's something that happens. Uh, Keller says this, he says, in each case, the person is religious, but it is not someone who isn't working for their salvation. It's actually possible for us to trust in our own trust. To trust in our own level of belief. And I have maybe a word for a few of you today who have a lot of questions today. You're going through a, a season in your life where you're just struggling. You're struggling with faith. You're struggling to see God in your circumstances. And there's this thing that creeps in in that moment that feels like condemnation. Where you have questions, and there's this little voice, like it's like the, you know, the little guy with a pitchfork on one shoulder who says, you know, like a good Christian wouldn't do that. They wouldn't have those questions. They wouldn't have that struggle. Here's some incredibly good news for you. It was never about and is not about and still is not about your ability to believe, your ability to hold on in faith. It was always all about Jesus. And so what Paul does here is he kind of reels them all back in and he reels us in. And I praise God, he reels me back in. Because there's times where I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how this works. I see the suffering in the world and I've got questions. 
And what God is in essence doing is saying, it, you can have those and you can struggle through those and you can turn in a direction of belief, but my hold on you and my hold on your life and my hold on your heart was never about that. It was about the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. And so you can rest, not in who you are, not in how well you're holding on, but in who I am. And so Paul's kind of saying, he's saying, you know, what or who your faith is in, it does, it is proven by what you then do. Just like building the house on the foundation and then living in it, or building that bridge out of those bricks and then crossing it. But that's not what makes it. It is in no way made by your doing, not even the best parts of your doing. And then he shifts to his second Bible character, Flannel Graph. Does anyone remember Flannel Graphs? Those of you who are young, it's like, oh man, that guy's so old. What's he talking about? We would actually, before TVs were like everywhere, we would actually have these cutout characters that we would put on a board and we would do stories with them. It's, it's, it's crazy. You can't believe it. It's the most like analog thing in the entire world. But this was one of those characters, those, those Old Testament characters, King David. So he goes on in verse 6. He says this, David, the king, the writer of the psalm, says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one whom God credits righteousness apart from works. And this is in quotes again. And so these are David's words. These are actually from Psalm 32. This is what David wrote, and we'll get into why he wrote it in just a second. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. So David was known as a lot of things. This was the guy with the sling who threw the rock and it hit Goliath and he defeated Goliath. He wrote many of the, the psalms that we find in our book of the psalms, so he was kind of like the songwriter. He was the king of Israel, but there was this defining moment in his life, and it wasn't a good moment that he was also known for. There was a situation where David sinned by committing adultery uh, with a woman named Bathsheba. And I want to be clear about this in the historical. This was not, this was not like two equally consenting adults who did this. This was a king who used his power to get what he wanted. He saw someone, he said, I'm going to get that because I have the power to do it. And so he got what he wanted. You know, there's these sins that we have where we, we mess up, we slip up, you know, we fall short, we just get caught in a bad moment. We've all had those kind of situations. But then there's the ones where we are willful about it, where we take, where we say, I'm going to get me that. We say, I don't care what the cost is. I don't care what the effects are. I have my eyes set on it, and I'm going to do it. Where we take, where we consume, even we steal and destroy. There, there are these willful kinds of things, and maybe... Some of you in this room have one of those in your past and you're really not very proud of it. Maybe in this room or online, you were the victim of one of those by someone else. And this whole idea reminds us of the language that we ran into a few weeks ago in Romans 1, where there's this thing that just kind of inflames us. 
Paul talked about it as a lust. It's like, I'm going to get that. And it's not just sexual. There are many other versions, especially in our culture, where we say, that is the prize, and my eye is on the prize, and I'm going to do whatever it takes, come what may, no matter who I have to climb over to get there. It's that kind of thing. It consumes us, and it destroys whatever and whoever is around us. And that's David's other legacy. Yes, the guy who had faith and threw the stone and Goliath and wrote a really bunch of nice psalms, and he was king over Israel, but that was part of his story too, was that. And I think if we're honest with ourselves Many of us in this room have that kind of mixed legacy in our own hearts. Maybe it's not to that degree. Maybe it's not something like that. But there's this mix of, like, good things. And then there's these mix of things and situations and circumstances and the way things happen that we, we're just not very proud of. We'd rather not talk about. You know, th this is not in our highlights reel of the things we would ever want to talk about. That's just part of the human condition. We all have those kind of stories. Some of them are bigger, and some of them are smaller. And so David is writing that Psalm 32 out of this situation. He's saying, I didn't just blow it. I decided to blow it. And it had profound implications in the life of other people. If you know the story, you know, Bathsheba ends up pregnant and he has her husband, Uriah, killed. It's just like a bad situation. And he says, I am this person who there was nothing good that happened. But he says, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven. And he knows what transgressions he's talking about. And I want to be clear. You know, when God forgives us, when God wipes our slate clean, when God covers our sin with the righteousness of Jesus, that does not eliminate the consequences on this earth for our sin. It does not make those go away. But even though we live with those things because of Jesus, because of his work, we can stand before God. So if Abraham was the guy who did it all right, and Paul says, you know, he's credited with righteousness even though he did all those good things apart from his deeds, David is given something even more scandalous. And me even talking about this rubs me the wrong way, and it rubs some of you the wrong way. He's credited with God's righteousness despite his deeds. There's a little bit of many of us who says, yeah, that's totally not fair. I agree. It's not. There are consequences for our actions and for our sins. But if we were to apply the same standard to ourselves, and I'll start with myself, as I stand before you, there would be consequences for me and for you as well. And so we're made right before God, apart from all of our activity apart from all of the things that we do. 
and we're tempted to tack this on to our faith and say, yeah, I have faith in God, but I also do all these really good things. I do these really awesome things. They, they should get me a little bit up the ladder farther. But you know what? This isn't the only thing we try to tack onto our faith. These next ones move a little bit quicker. Let's keep reading. And we come back to some of our favorite things that Paul seems to just love talking about. Circumcision. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised, those who have had a specific procedure done uh, that is a sign and a symbol of the covenant of God, or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he had the thing done? Was it after the sign or before? It was not after, but before. And to receive circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe, but have not done the thing, have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also, how many times are we going to get this word in here? Also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. And remember what circumcision was in the Jewish faith. It was this, this covenant symbol uh, that was outward, that was physical, that was irrevocable, and it showed it was just a sign and a seal. But really at its most basic, it was this. It was a ritual. It was a ritual. And most of us in our tradition, we don't have a ton of formal rituals. We don't have these formal things we do. But if you think even about how we do church, there's kind of a ritual aspect to it. We kind of know that when we come in, uh, Joey and some group of wonderful musicians is going to stand in front of us, and we're going to sing some songs. At some point, me or someone else is going to get up and talk. And so there's this certain repetitiveness to it. But I was thinking about this. Like, we all have these little rituals that we do. And sometimes we attach significant value to them. Uh, there's like four probably Kansas City Chiefs fans in this room today. And some of you all who watch football, you have some rituals. You have something that you wear or something that you do. And what happens with our rituals sometimes is we begin to attach a certain kind of value to them. We begin to say, if I do this, there's something that I can have faith in. There's something that I can trust will happen. Some of you do it on game day. Some of you, you have some other version of a ritual. And what happens to some of us is we actually begin to have these little rituals that we attach to our faith. We say, you know, if I show up at church enough times, then God will like me more because I showed up at church. Now, I love that you show up at church. Please don't stop showing up at church. I'm going to keep showing up at church. If you're watching online, thanks for joining us. I don't know if you guys knew this, but, but our on, the, the people who follow us online, has, it has doubled in a year. So there's all sorts of ways that people are connecting to the community of faith here at Long Hill Chapel. And that is amazing because I'd rather be here than anywhere else on Sunday morning, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. But if we begin to believe that our rituals unlock something in God— we are beginning to attach something to our faith again. I don't know if you've ever had this situation where, you know, something really bad has happened in your life. You're like, God, I will go be a missionary in the farthest part of the earth if you just figure this thing out for me. 
know, many of us have done that like earlier, or like when you're trying to find the parking spot and you can't find the parking spot and you're late to the thing, you're like, God, whatever it, uh, you know, I'll say some Hail Marys, I'll throw some money in the plate, I'll do whatever it takes, just help me find the thing. There's this idea that if we do something, it unlocks something in God. And we have to be so careful of that because then it starts to attach our faith and our belief to our activity once again. So we're made right before God apart from our rituals. You don't ever have to show up here again. You're going to miss out if you don't. You're going to have a hard time growing if you don't. You're going to become isolated if you don't. But you doing this doesn't check a box for God. In fact, it checks a box for you. At least I pray that it does. There are so many Sundays where I come in here, I'm like, oh gosh, it's Sunday. And then I sit just like we did, or I stand and I sing and I worship with you. And God does something in my heart. And I always leave here so thankful that I get to be part of this. And I hope that you do too. Because there's something God does in us when we do those things. It's not something we're doing for God. We're not done yet, but we're getting there. Wait, there's more, as they say. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. We've talked about this already. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. We talked about a couple weeks ago that the law reminds us of our condition, our sin, that we cannot justify ourselves. And when there's no law, there's no transgression. So basically, the existence of the law makes faith in something greater than the law, faith in Jesus, necessary, greater than our works, even our very best works. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offsprings, not only those who are of the law, but also those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He is a father, our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. So we're made right, and we've spent some time on this. And as I said, Paul's kind of, he's belaboring the point because it's easy for us to miss it. We're made right before God apart from our rule keeping. We're made right before God apart from our ability to do the law, apart from our relationship with the rules. And so finally, here's the last one. Verse 18, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah, his wife's womb, was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. So what happened is God came and he made this promise to Abraham. He said, you're going to be the father of many nations. And Abraham said, I'm super old. My wife is super old. That sounds great, but I just don't see how it's going to work out. But was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. You know, so God comes along 
And he comes to these people who have gone to the land that God's going to show them. They've, rooted, they've uprooted themselves. They've walked in faith. They've done a really good job. They've worked really hard. They've, they've really, they're a great example of what it means to walk in faith. And he makes this promise in Abraham and Sarah's life that there's no way they can contribute to. Understand what I'm saying. He basically says, Abraham was super old and he was as good as dead. I'm like, thanks, that's a nice way to say it. But he's like, there is nothing that Abraham could bring to the table in what God wanted to do in his life. Except believe. Except be faithful. They were as good as dead. I think there's this thing that we do, I do it, we all do it, where we look at our lives, we look at our talents, we look at our opportunities, and we say, man, God could really use this. And you know what? He can. He absolutely can, and he absolutely does. But you doing those things you participating in those things, you bringing yourself to the table is a response to what God has already done. It's a response. It's not saying, God, there's this thing that if you just use it, it somehow would check the box for me. It would somehow make things right. Because when it comes to our standing before God, honestly, friends, we are as good as dead. There's nothing we have to offer, even the best parts of ourselves. You know, I love how God did this in the story of Abraham and Sarah, because it wasn't just like, you know, okay, they'll get pregnant, it'll be awesome, and God will use it. It's like that time was gone. Friends, here's, here's something for some of you. There's a time in some of your lives that you think is gone. You think it's past. You think it's over. You think there's nothing more to be written, and you've given up, and you've moved on, and you said, well, God's not going to be able to do anything there anymore. Friends, we serve a God. Look at what the words say there. Who brings the dead to life. Calls things into being that were not there. And so the thing that seems as good as dead to you is, as not, is not as good as dead to God. And we can continue to have faith and to trust. Because what happens is sometimes we look at our lives really in terms of what we think we have to offer. And so Paul turns this back to us at the very end. The words, it was credited to him. So all this stuff we've been talking about was written not for him. It wasn't just for Abraham or for David, but also for us. To whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins. But then something happened that nobody else could do, nobody else had had done. He was raised to life for our justification. We stand before a God who raises us dead to life. 
He does it in our souls, but he does it in so many ways in our life because he is the one who can do that. You can't do that. I can't do that. The most talented, smart, spiritual person can't do that, but God can do that. Maybe you feel that way in some area of your life this morning. Maybe you don't, but that's really how you are anyway. He's the only one who can do that. And so as we close, how can we respond to this? You know, we've talked about something that is both hopeful and a little bit depressing. It's depressing in the sense that there's not much we can do, but it's hopeful in the sense that God offers this to us if we believe. And so I simply ask you this, will you give God your yes? Will you simply give God your yes? What do I mean by that? Move beyond. Move beyond your understanding of what the thing looks like. Just like I had to when I was a kid, like my pastor did, like maybe somebody did with you. Move beyond. Move beyond a knowledge and a talk about faith to a faith that has some consequences. Move beyond the rituals that we all do. Move beyond the ways that we try to gain favor by staying inside the lines and doing the right things. Move beyond all even the things that we think we have to offer or wish that we did. And why is this so difficult for us? Because it requires us to move. Our movement doesn't activate faith. It doesn't activate God. We don't move to achieve. We move to receive. I think the greatest barrier that I struggle with and that we struggle with is not that this is possible or even that it's necessary. It's just the fact that it requires our understanding to shift. It requires us to relinquish and release our grip on some things about how we thought it all was to be and how we thought it was supposed to work. And so this morning as we close, wherever God is speaking in your heart about any one of these things, Will you simply give him your yes? Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the places where it challenges our understanding. Maybe sometimes where it even feels like uh, it belabors the point. Where it's easy for us to look at this and say, well, we th think we get it. By the power of your spirit, would you open our eyes to see our hearts to understand, our ears to hear. Would you move us beyond our understanding of you? And would that set us free today? Would that set us free from the things that have confined our understanding, from the words of our past that have condemned us, even from the ways that we try, and we continue to try to activate you in our lives by doing the right things or checking the right boxes? Would this just expand? Would it give us the faith and the courage to step out, but also the peace and the certainty to know that it was never about our ability to move at all, but just about our ability to say yes? So I pray you'd be at work as we sing in these next moments. We thank you that you made the first move towards us changed everything. We pray in Jesus' name.